I mean, this is kind of going to, going to, I might just mention that because it's probably going to help our discussion here, what we're talking about tonight. But, you know, what, what do you make of that? Sometimes I have people ask me about uh, deathbed conversions and, and uh, what, I, what I think about them. And, and uh, um, well, you know, I'm, I'm not the judge, number one. Number two, you know, I mean, I can't, I can't look in somebody's heart. Uh, and um, the, here's the deal, though. The big thing that's lacking there, um, you know, the Scripture says that man... Uh, Samuel said, man looks on the outward. God looks on the inward, but man looks on the outward. Well, that's, that's just a fact. I mean, that's just the way it is. That's all you and I can ever do. Some, sometimes we, we um, have pretty good assurance, or at least we, we, we are, are convinced that we do, that somebody is saved. I mean, I look around the room, you know, and I'm confident, you know. But, um, but the bottom line is I can't look at your heart, and you can't look at my heart. All we have to go on is the outward. So, so God can make the, the 100% accurate, right judgment. Uh, we can't. Um, we're, we're always um, uh, able to be deceived. But, um, all that said, uh, the, the big thing is that's lacking, like in a deathbed experience, is um, evidence. In other words, you don't, the only, the, well, it's not totally lacking. You've got the profession that's been made. But other than that, you don't have any evidence. You think about a biblical example, the thief, the thief on the cross, because he's the one that gets brought up a lot when people are, <laughs> are asking these questions. Um, and Jesus declares to him, this day you will be with me in paradise. All right, so that guy was saved right there on the cross. No, no doubt about that one, because Jesus, Jesus made it clear, today you'll be with me in paradise. But um, there was no way... No time for that guy, other than the profession that he made, you know, and he he prayed that he asked Jesus, you know, um, um, uh, you know, let me be with you in your kingdom. But other than the profession that he made there, there was no evidence of salvation. See, normally you would look for evidence in somebody's life, you know, how how they how they live is is what they're doing um, consistent with their profession, and of course in that guy's case there was no time for that and um, uh, you know it's like some of the ones we're talking about and there's probably no no time for that so does that mean the whole thing's invalid well no we know that again with a thief on the cross uh, at least he, at least he was genuinely saved but um, I guess what, what I'm saying in short is this we don't we don't have any way to have any real confidence that their profession is true because we don't have the opportunity to see them live it out all we've got is the confession, and 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 that could be true or it could be false, just like somebody, um, you know, that might make a profession in any other place in time. You don't know. That's why that's why I can't stand when they count heads after a service or an evangelistic meeting or a church service or anything like that, because you can't see their heart. The fact that they made a profession, um, that's that's great, and we want to encourage them in that as far as you know. Uh, okay, great. You you say that you want to follow Jesus. Now we want to help you do that. We want to encourage them along. But we don't know that they've been saved just because they say they were saved or something to that effect. We don't know. And time will tell, probably. But but even then, um, like I say, we never can see the heart. Only God sees the heart. You know, Demas was one of uh, 
Paul's co-workers, co-laborers in the gospel. And then later, you know, uh, in, in time, Paul says about, because he, he mentions him earlier, then later he says about Demas, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Now, that's astonishing, assuming he really did um, just, just walk away from the Lord, because here this guy was a co-laborer with the Apostle Paul, no less. <laughs> you know, look at Judas. Nobody suspected Judas. Isn't that, isn't that, doesn't that astound you that nobody... When, when they're sitting at the Last Supper and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, isn't it astounding that everybody in the room just didn't kind of, oh, it's him? They weren't doing that. They didn't know. And every one of them is saying, is it me? Is it me? I mean, you know, in hindsight, when you're when us reading it in hindsight, you kind of expect that all of them were just, oh, okay, yeah, Judas, yeah, we, we know about Judas. He fit right in, and they didn't know. So, so he, yeah, evidently, he had the evidence. Now, I will say this, you know, we, um, some, sometimes we look for the wrong evidences. In other words, you know, we see somebody that just what we call on fire, you know. I mean, they go to church, and they talk about the Lord, and they do this and that. And we're not looking at, are they loving? You know, are, they, are they loving people? Are they patient you know, with people? Are they, are they um, full of joy in the Lord and so forth? You know, we're not looking at those things, the, the fruits of the Spirit, but we're looking at, uh, at, at their activity oftentimes. All right. Well, anyway, the reason I mentioned that about the, or, you know, I said that would fit in well. I'm going a little bit different direction there, so let me come back. But the reason I said that that deathbed uh, profession thing would kind of fit in with what we're talking about, because I want to talk about grace. And, and see, this is the thing. God saves when and where He pleases. And, and, and salvation experiences happen in different ways. And so if you, just, if you just hit me with a question, well, is it really possible that somebody could be saved at the last second on their deathbed? And I mean, they, they don't have, you know... They don't have any time to, to uh, prove their, their uh, profession. They, they may not even have time to be baptized. You know, so is that really likely? Is that really possible? Certainly it's possible. And again, I would point to at least one example we know for sure is true, and that's the thief on the cross. Uh, he professed faith in Christ there. He didn't say the sinner's prayer and all that stuff, but <laughs> he just... See, I, that's again what I mean about looking for the wrong thing. You know, we want to see something like that, some kind of mechanics. All he did was say, Lord, when you come in your kingdom, you know, receive me. And Jesus understood that, and he does see the heart. Jesus understood that as an expression of faith in him. And he said, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. So, yes, it's absolutely possible. So, like yesterday, when somebody tells me, it doesn't happen often, but it did happen yesterday. But when somebody um, who is supposedly on their deathbed tells me, you know, I was saved this morning. Um, well, I, I can't see the evidences I would like to see, and there's not time for that, as I said. But can God do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, right. And, and, and uh, you know, in that case, you, you, there wouldn't, you, like I said, there's not time for them to show a lot of evidence of it, so you wouldn't be looking for that anyway. But, uh, you know, I mean, you've you got to start. Uh, with, in, with any, not just the bed's deathbed experience, but you got to start with any. When somebody professes faith, um, I mean, you just basically got to take them at their word, right? And then just watch over time.
and, and, and try not to be too critical because it's not, you know, after we've, we've been a Christian for years, our, our expectations tend to go up. You know, we kind of like forget our own experience, you know, and uh, how slow, I, you know, I kind of forget how slow I was, you know, or am, not, not was, but, but was in certain areas. And, uh, and, and we kind of, we have a tendency to put higher expectations on converts. But if we watch for the right things, like I was talking about a while ago, um, not so much looking at things that we consider taboo, habits, um, certain kinds of speech or this or that, but if we're looking at the right things, we're trying to, and as much as we can, if we're trying to see their heart, you know, are they, for example, are they showing now a love for God's people? Are they showing now a love for God's Word? Do they have an interest in studying the Word of God uh, as a means of knowing Him better and, and learning? Do they want to learn about the kingdom? And what you see so many times today is just get them to say the sinner's prayer and, and then, you know, they're in and, and we'll help them be convinced that they're in and they may not show any real um, interest in things, you know, the things of God. But as, as long as they've said the prayer, that's the main thing. And then if they come to church, that's even better, you know. But the center just—it's—it's it's just a traditional. Usually they—they'll—it's something along the lines of you, you know you get them to pray with you, uh, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, and uh, I, I acknowledge that you're the only Savior. Would you come into my heart and save my soul? Some, something like that. Um, again, just with the caution that that doesn't do the trick. Yeah. But but I, I've done that. I mean, I have done that in, in times that I felt like uh, maybe they needed a little, in, 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 in uh, I don't know, just aid, help maybe, just even in praying. And, and I just try to be careful, you know. Just, you, I tell them, you know, usually, I, first of all, I just tell them to, to, to pray. But, if, but if, I, if I feel like it's needed, you know, just say something like this or, or pray with me. And, but, um, yeah. It, it, it's not a magical thing. It's not like, okay, they went, they did the prayer, and so now they're in. They're in if they're born again. And, um, and we, we don't have any way of... I mean, we don't see that happening. Like I said, we see the evidence of it after it happens. So, so why are we saved? You know, and in a word, it's grace. Grace. It's grace. So uh, there's... It's just, it's just, it's the same grace that would save a, because, because we might marvel more, or we might think, wow, this guy on his deathbed, who's never lived a day in his life for Jesus, um, but it's the same grace that saves that individual, um, that saves any one of us, even if we were saved 50 years ago or whatever. Um, in other words, it's not because we're better people that we got saved. Um, that God saved us. It's, it's, it's grace. It's His grace. So I'm in Titus 2, Titus 2.11, and I want to use this to uh, kind of kick off a, a, probably what's going to amount to a new little series here um, on the gra- what I'm going to call the grace-filled life. The grace-filled life. And so uh, I want to reiterate some things tonight. I mean, this is not like this is going to be anything that you haven't heard or something like that. But uh, it's just it's just good to come back and, and think about these things. In other words, grace in our in our own experience to remind us that that's how we were saved by the grace of God, and that's how we remain saved 
by the grace of God. And that's how we will remain saved to the end, by the grace of God. And then remain kept throughout the ages. It's all, all of grace. All, all, our salvation is all of grace. So, um, Titus 2.11. And I'm going to read down through 15 here. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce... And I'll I'll just tell you this up front, because that's about all I'm going to deal with tonight right there. But I'm going to go ahead and read this, because I do want to come back next week and and deal with more here. But uh, So I'll start over. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. Now, if that last verse sounds a little odd to you, uh, let me just put it in context that Paul is, is um, talking to Titus, a young a, a pastor, and um, one whom Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul is mentoring. And so he's, he's giving him instruction for the church. And so, for example, if you look right before the section I just read, he, he goes through in chapter 2 a little bit of instruction on how people are... How, how we are to conduct ourselves, older men and then older women and then young, young uh, men and women and so forth, slaves. And so you get down, um, for example, with the slaves in verse 9. Bond servants, the word there means slaves. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing. By the way, this is great uh, instruction for employees. Employees are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Now, notice that last statement. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And, that, and that's really, um, that goes along with all the instruction he's just given with, with, for older men and older women and children and so forth, how we're all to act, so that we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So that, so that what we teach, what, what, we, what we believe, what we say we believe, is, is, is shown by our lives. It's, uh, it's just um, the beauty of it, I guess, you, I guess you could say it this way, the beauty of it is brought out, like in, you know, alive and in living color. You think about a wife, a bride rather, a bride adorned for her husband... And what they try to do um, is to highlight her beauty, right? So he's saying here, we are to conduct ourselves um, in, in this manner, living out good works, so that in everything we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For, there's that connecting word, and we're getting back to where we, we're going to be tonight. For, 
the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So Paul's telling Titus and the church there, you want to be, you want to be um, living witnesses. You want, your, you want your conduct to match up with the gospel, the doctrine of God, the, go- the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want, we want to live out what we say we believe because the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. So we're, and I've said this before, it's why God leads us here. It's to reach other people. I think that's the primary thing. You know, we, we don't, He could just take us home immediately at the point of uh, regeneration, but He leads us here Go through this sanctification process to uh, to learn and grow, grow in the grace and knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ. And all the while that we're doing that, and we'll come back to this as we go, uh, there's a hint of it there in uh, verse 13, waiting for the blessed hope. In other words, waiting for the return of the blessed hope is the return of the Lord. Waiting for the return of the Lord. But it's an active waiting. So we wait. How do we wait? Being witnesses living out our faith because the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. In other words, it's not just for you and you and me. It's for all. It's not just for the Jews. It's Gentile like we've been learning in Acts. It's for all people. So we're here to, we're here to, and we'll talk again more about this later, but we're here to put the grace of God on display to the world. We're here to be conduits of this grace that we have received. Now, let's kind of zero in on verse 11. For the grace of God. Well, what are we talking about there? What is the grace of God? Favor. Very good. Yeah, and I love that. I love that. Rather than disfavor, which was what, that, that's, that is what we were experiencing before Christ, children of wrath, Wrath of God abides on those who don't believe Jesus said. So we were experiencing God's disfavor, but now His favor. And let me say this too. I I was trying to, I bet I didn't, I was was just kind of trying to formulate this a little bit the other day. I'll just give it to you off the top of my head. I I had had it written down. But the the grace grace is is a, um, a manifestation or a display of God's benevolence. Now, the reason I... I, Or you could say, um, for benevolence, you might say kindness, something like that. The reason I I give it that definition is because there are different different applications of grace. For example, uh, when we're talking about regeneration, salvation, eternal life, we're talking about a, a, a special grace God bestows on certain individuals that he's decided to say. But we also speak of um, common grace. What is common grace? Like, right, like, like when we, we, it's dry and we need rain. Well, it, you know, I don't, I don't know how many people are saved up and down my street. I don't know, but I've, nev- I've never... Now, I did see, and this might be, this would be kind of scary the other way, though. I, I told Leslie on the phone the other day because I got home and, and uh, I, I knew it was threatening a little bit. But I got home and I and I walked up to the porch and I'm thinking, good, I beat the rain because I walked from the truck up to the porch and I just happened to look when I went to put the key in the door and it was raining in the neighbor's yard. 
<laughs> I kid you not. It was coming down. I was whoa, look at that. Of course, within a second or two, it was on top of our house too. But I've never seen it rain, you know, only on our house. And maybe some guy down the street that, that I know is lost, uh, you know, in, in the drought of summer, he wasn't getting it and we were. I've never seen that happen. Um, it rains on the just and the unjust. And the sun shines on the just and the unjust. That's common grace. That's common grace. But let's, let's think about that in, in the context of this here. Um, that that kind of helps us with our definition, right? Because if we think of grace in terms of, strictly in terms of salvation, then that, don't, that doesn't work. When, when Jesus talks about it raining on the just and the unjust, sun shining on the just and the unjust, He doesn't mean that everybody there experiences saving grace. He's saying there, there is, and of course I'm using... He didn't use the term common grace, but this is what we call it today. He's talking about what we call common grace. In other words, there is an expression of God's grace uh, that are expressions of God's grace that everybody gets in on. And so that's why I, I word it the way I do. Grace is, is a manifestation of God's benevolence. In other words, he's just being kind, good, benevolent. Um, and he does that over all creation. Save people, lost people, even um, you know, plants and animals and so forth uh, experience that. So, so it's an expression of his benevolence, his kindness, his goodness. And then you can go from there, and, and I do think, um, just to be clear... Verse 11 here is talking about saving grace, special grace, I think is what verse 11 is talking about. But I just wanted to be clear that, that you can use the term and not have that in view. You could be talking about what we call common grace, that everybody experiences. All right, so, so it's an act of benevolence, kindness. For the grace, grace of God has appeared for the grace of God. So the kindness, the benevolence of God, the favor of God has appeared. What, what is he talking about? I think that's exactly what he's talking about, really. Jesus. What, 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 let's think of it this way. What is the ultimate expression of God's grace? Jesus. Let's, let's see, hold your place here, but, but look at it at John 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh. Who's the Word? Jesus, right? Go back to verse 1. It's clear, I mean, we're going, we're going to find out in verse 14. It's talking about Jesus. But, but you go back in, in, in verse 1. He says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Had some Jehovah's Witnesses stop by a couple weeks ago and course, you know, I brought up John 1 1, which they intentionally mistranslate if you ever get to look at one of their Bibles, but <clears throat> the New World Translation, but they mistranslate this. But anyway, I brought it up and, and uh, the guy said, he, you know, it was real quick, you know, he was with God. And I said, yes, and he was God. And there is no indefinite article there. And that's what they do in their, in their Bible. They put an indefinite article in front of God so that it says he was a God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Because they know that's talking about Jesus, 
and they deny that he they deny that Jesus is God Almighty, and so they make him um, a creature and a, a kind of a uh, some kind of a mini god. I don't I don't know. Pretty weird. Yes, yeah, they, yeah. Well, I mean, scripture, yeah, says that he's God's son, but but they say that God created him, called him his son. <clears throat> All right, so he was God, and God became flesh. Verse fourteen: the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's very important. In other words. John says, we, we've seen His glory, the glory of Jesus, and it is glory full of grace and truth. And, and I really believe what John has uh, in mind there, and there are several reasons, but um, is Moses' experience on the mount. We remember when, when Moses prayed in Exodus 33, Lord, show me Your glory. And God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in a cleft on a rock and I'm going to pass by and declare my name. Why would God do that? Because your name in the Bible, and still this way in, a lot of, in some cultures, but your name has to do with your character. And that's the way it is in the Bible as well. You know, So, you know, like... like Jacob wrestled with the angel, so then he's called Israel, the man who wrestles with God. So your name has to do with your character and how, how, you, how you act and so forth. So God says, I'm going to pass by you and declare my name. Well, when God passes by, He says, The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious. And He says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, right? You don't have to leave, John, but I want to... I want to Make sure I get this right. So I'm just going <clears> to <throat> read a, just a, a verse or two there where, where God is doing that. Because I think this is what John has in view here. He proclaimed the name of the Lord. Let's see. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So he's, he's essentially saying, I'm, I'm full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. The Lord, that, that, that by the way is uh, Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands. And he goes on. Alright, so that's what happened when Moses prayed, Let me see your glory. Now, John says... The Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory, and His glory was full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And then he says in verse 17, John 1, 17, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So this, this I would say, when, when, uh, when, when Paul says in Titus 2, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people 
Um, I'm thinking that's what he has in view. He's talking about the, the coming of the Lord. The greatest manifestation or appearance, to use his word here, the greatest appearance of God's grace. For the grace of God has appeared. And what does the grace of God do? For the grace of God has appeared doing what? Bringing salvation. So here he is talking about saving grace. He's saying it's the grace of God has, has appeared. Jesus came bringing salvation to all people. Well, that's, that's, again, that's what John says in John 1. In Him was life, John 1, 1, 4, uh, John 1 verse 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, he is the true light, that's verse 9, true light which gives light to everyone. Uh, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. So in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the true light, Jesus, gives light to everyone. Um, the true light who gives life to everyone was coming into the world. So the grace of God has appeared. That is, God has, has manifested His favor, His benevolence in a... In a uh, well, now in, in in an ultimate sense, and there have been a, a lot of man, there are still uh, there are a lot of ways that God manifests His grace, but here's the ultimate one. John three sixteen, He sends His only begotten Son into the world, so that whoever believes on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Why does, why does Paul say that? There's no other Savior. There's no other way. So, um, goes back to what Bob said a minute ago. If, if someone is saved, they're saved the same way everybody else is. Because, meaning, regenerated by the living God through the power of the Holy Spirit, through faith in Jesus Christ. There, there's, there's no other way. There's no other way. Because there's no other Savior provided. There's no other mediator between God and man. So, literally here, it's for, it's for all men, but the word that Paul uses for man there, anthropos, is, is a general... Um, in other words, sometimes that word can include... Uh, uh, it's, it's used like a generic term. So, in other words, meaning all, all people... Or sometimes we would say something like humankind or, or something like that. But the idea is that, um, to paraphrase, the idea is all kinds of people. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all kinds of people. And we see this throughout the New Testament. Um, salvation is for the world, right? He's called, uh, again, John called Jesus when he, when he first, John the Baptist that is, when John the Baptist first identified Jesus, he called him the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So what did he mean by that? Did he mean that he took away the, the sins of every single person throughout the whole world? No, I don't think so, because we know that some people will die in their sins and perish. Um, I mean, the Bible's clear on that. So what did he mean? 
He means, again, it's the idea of, of all people without distinction in, in regards of um, ethnicity, nationality, social class. In other words, and here's, here's really the, the, the emphasis in the New Testament, it's not Jews only. It's Jews and Gentiles. It's the whole world. God so loved the world. Anytime you see that kind of terminology in the New Testament, you know, just remind yourself that that's the context that's written in. So the idea is, is not exclusively Jews, but Jews and non-Jews alike. That's what pretty much is what, what's meant by the world, the whole world, or all men, those kinds of phrases. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. All people. So, Paul is telling Titus here, there's a, there's a certain way that you're to live because the grace of God is bringing salvation for all people. So, so how does God do that? And we've been talking about this as we're going through Acts. Well, in the beginning, and I think, again, Paul is referencing back to here, the grace of God has appeared. He's talking about the, the, the first advent of Jesus. In other words, Jesus' first coming. So, the grace of God appeared by, by God sending His own Son into the world. And He goes about um, doing good, for God was with Him. Uh, the apostles say, we, we read. We read. Um, and so you see God's grace manifest. But then, He ascends into heaven be seated at the right hand of the Father. So now how is it playing out? Through God's people. Amen. And just like I've been saying in Acts, it's still Jesus doing it. It's still the ministry of Jesus continuing on. But instead of Him being here in the person, in flesh, Himself conducting uh, this ministry, He is now conducting it through the church through the church, through the congregation of the living God, and more specifically through local churches scattered around the globe, us being one. So, so the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So we've experienced grace, and so now we, we live grace. Grace-filled lives. And, and, I, and I think, and this is one of the things that's foundational of that is, is remembering that we ourselves were saved by grace. So that we don't think, well, you know what? And, and boy, this, we are so tempted to think this way. There's something superior about me. There's something superior about my race. There's something superior about people who share my skin color. There's something superior about people who share my nationality. We are so tempted to think that way. But it's not true. I was saved by grace. By grace. And so, um, now, if that's a reality, and I think... Uh, Julie put it on Facebook today. As a matter of fact, I looked at that and I saw, wow, <laughs> that's great. Well, it says something to the effect, if, you, if you've... Say, say it, what did you put on there? The first, the first sentence, I think it was. If you understood grace, you would exhibit grace. 
It doesn't seem like we hear a lot of emphasis on that, in at least in American Christianity. But there's a lot of emphasis on it here. We last Thursday morning, we were looking at um, Revelations uh, chapter two and in our Thursday morning study, and it just kind of, it struck me, of course, partly because of the conversation that was going on, but it struck me um, there was like I don't know, I didn't count them, I, I, I wrote them all down. I may still have them right here. I wrote them all down. But just in those letters to the, to the seven churches, you can check it out for yourself in, in Revelations 2 and 3, there was like seven or eight times that Jesus mentioned good works. I mean, He was just hammering on good works. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? It must be important, huh? And, that's, and, and of course, much of that, what He's doing is rebuking those churches in, in much of those cases for not... Or sometimes he would say, you know, I know your works. And he would make reference to good works. But just over and over and over, he's hammering on good works. That's what Paul is doing here. Look at this paragraph again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, hear this, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Paul said this is what Christ redeemed us for and to be zealous for good works. But we, we're, we're tempted a lot of times to think that um, um, the minute, you know, well, that's a contradiction. Grace works. Those things are contradictory. No, 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 no. We're not saved by works. That would be a contradiction to say that we're saved by our good works. But grace produces works. That's what he's telling Titus here in chapter 2. The grace of God, and we'll talk more about this later, but the grace of God has appeared training us. And Christ has redeemed us from lawlessness to purity so that He might possess uh, a people who are zealous for good works. So, grace is the good work of God, right? Grace is the good work of God operating toward us, in us, on us. And Paul is saying that it should be operating um, through us as well. So grace is not just an um, abstract concept. It's, it's a reality in the Christian life. And like Julie said so well, if you, if, you, if you really understand grace, you will exhibit grace. It's hard. It's hard for a person... Uh, we're all tempted to. We're all sinners. But, but it's hard for a person who knows he was a scumbag that God plucked out of the pit to treat somebody else like a scumbag because you've been there. But if you think you're better, then it's not so hard to do that. A friend of mine that died just about a week and a half ago, Bill Walsworth, used to, was our pastor years ago. Um... I remember him telling this story several times. Uh, it was another guy that I also knew that was witnessing to him, a guy named John Opie. 
he was a uh, he was a bandito. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, it's a motorcycle, pretty rough motorcycle gang, and uh, he was one of the the leaders here locally. Um, him and his brother John and Jim Opie, both of them came to the Lord. God saved both of them. But but when they were saved, they were they were in the banditos. And um, John Opie, now I, I got to know him years later, but but uh, he he worked at some place that Bill worked at, uh, and um, he was. He was witnessing to Bill. Of course, Bill was uh, probably saying he was a Christian. It was like, you know, he, just, he wasn't really saved, but thought he was. And John Opie told him one day, he said, you know what your problem is, Bill? And Bill was a real nice guy. He said, you know what your problem is, Bill? And Bill said, what? He said, you're, too, you're just too nice of a guy. He said, me? Me, I know I'm a scumbag. He said, but you don't, you don't see yourself as a scumbag. Man, that that hit home <laughs> with Bill Walsworth. He knew he was right, and and we're all prone to that. But no, we're saved by grace, saved by grace, and so now we live by grace, the grace-filled life. I mean, that's our goal, the grace-filled life. We want God's grace flowing through us like a conduit to our spouses, to our children to our brothers and sisters in the Lord, to our co-workers, those, yeah, those that, you know, we get along good with and those that we don't. You know, Jesus said, if you only love those who love you, what more do you do than the, than the heathen do, you know? The sinners, the Gentiles. Love your enemies, Jesus said. So, live a grace-filled life. All right, we better stop there for tonight. And let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your grace shown to us and even the grace in working in us now, working these things out in us and through us. We're so thankful because we don't deserve it. We didn't do anything to earn it. It's a gift. A gift of your, out of Your benevolence, out of Your favor. And Lord, we do want to just be filled with thanksgiving to You for Your grace towards us. And Lord, we do want to be what Paul describes here. People that You desire to possess, zealous for good works. And we acknowledge our dependence uh, on You for that and Your grace. Work it for our good, we pray, in Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.